0: Gather round and listen to tales of great adventure and brave heroes. Tales of daring individuals fighting monsters and claiming treasure. Tales of bards trying to get into the pants of savage beasts to avoid losing a fight. Tales of people drinking beer, eating pizza, and rolling dice. Tales of people losing their minds over the things that happen to people who only exist in their minds. This is Rollin' Bones, and I am Ryan Howard. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in... RPG interviews. I am, of course, your Dungeon Master Ryan Howard, and with me as always is my fluffy cat Ronan. He just entered the room, so I figured I would announce him, despite there uh, not being any kind of video feed with this podcast. Thank you for that input, Ronan. So anyway, uh, today we have a very special interview with Kelly Butler, aka The Opera Geek, on social media. Uh, Kelly and I talked about a lot of really interesting stuff, uh, not just kind of the, the content that she puts out there, but also, you know, the uh, the things in in growing up and, and not feeling like we belong to our peer group that kind of drove us to the things that we like to do. The struggles of being a very public figure in a community such as, you know, the RPG community where a lot of content creators are very close to their audiences. And we also talked about some stuff that's not heavy and depressing. So uh, yeah, that's that's gonna be a, a, a great interview. I hope a lot of you get something out of this interview. I have to apologize for the audio quality on this one because once again, uh, in moving my computer, there were some issues where my uh, my Skype recorder reset its settings. It's still very much listenable, so uh, I, I think you guys will enjoy it. Moving forward, I'm going to have all those issues resolved, so again, just don't worry about it, and uh, hopefully you can, you can move past it and dig into some great content. Uh, before we jump in, just real quick, as always... RolandBonesPodcast.com is your source for all the things connected to this lovely podcast that I put out every week. You can find us on any podcatcher out there. Uh, I ask that you please give us ratings and reviews. D- just depending on how you feel about the podcast, I want you to be perfectly honest with me so that I can make changes to give you guys the best product possible And even negative reviews help us get recommended. So, yeah, I am going to uh, ask that you guys do that on whatever podcatcher you're listening. Just leave a rating and a review. And also, if you want to join the conversation, you can find me on social media at Howard underscore Ryan That's both on Twitter and Instagram. And if you really want to join the conversation and have a question read on the air, you can send me an email at RolandBonesWithRyan at gmail.com. So with that out of the way, ladies and gentlemen, let us give it up for the opera geek, Kelly Butler. She should be hearing your applause as you are listening to this, despite the fact that we pre-recorded it, and I hope that you guys enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are classing it up a bit tonight, Um, just a bit though. Uh, Because we are talking to someone who's not only a voice actor and a a TTRPG streamer, but she is also a professional opera singer. Ladies and gentlemen, you probably already know who it is by now. Give it up for the opera geek, Kelly Butler.
1: Is there going to be applause? I'm waiting. There's not. Oh, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. What
0: kind of budget you think we have here? (laughs)
1: It's okay. I'm an opera singer. We always hear applause in our own minds.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Well, <laughs> Kelly, thank you for agreeing to do the show.
1: Well, absolutely. Absolutely. It sounded uh, interesting. I wish I could have done it sooner. It was a little bit of a hectic start to 2020 for me.
0: Yeah, because you just wrapped up a performance cycle, didn't you?
1: Uh, yep. Yep. I just wrapped up a performance that was particularly difficult. So I was, I was pretty much hip deep. In Handle, which is... It just sounds awful, honestly. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. I'm
0: sure there are several movies called Hip, Deep, and Handle that we won't discuss on this show.
1: Rule 34!
0: <laughs> yep. Okay. So, Kelly, we're going to start the show the same way we start every show. I ask these questions to everyone because I just find the answers interesting. So, we'll start off deceptively simple How did you get into RPGs and D&D?
1: Um, so with RPGs, if you count like, um, RPGs and video games and stuff as well, uh, that's really where I started because, um, I've talked a little bit about this before. Um, when I was growing up, I was much younger than everybody else, uh, in my class. I was about two years younger. Um, and I was the nerd that no one wanted to hang out with. (laughs) You know, um, so, you know, I read my fantasy and sci-fi books. Um, my introduction to Forgotten Realms was actually the Cleric Quintet by R.A. Salvatore. But um, so while I knew all about Faerun and everything else and, and I would read about D&D, um, I never actually played a D&D game until 2006 after I got married. Yeah, um, just because I didn't have like even, <laughs> as weird as it sounds because everybody imagines you know the the D&D people as being the nerds in their school even the D&D kids didn't want me to hang out with them <laughs> so um <laughs> yeah uh i really started around 2006 with a very ill-fated paladin and um <laughs> and uh Went from there, and even after 2006, we didn't play too much, um, just because we're kind of separated from all of our friends uh, geographically. But with the advent of Roll20, it became much easier, and um, then I got into the streaming aspect of it in 2018. and Since then, I, I, I don't think I've gone like two weeks without playing D&D, or some sort of system.
0: <laughs> it's a good position to find yourself in.
1: I mean, yeah, it's great. I like set. But the 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 RPGs, like I was playing – oh, God, this is going to – I'm going to date myself here. Um, like I remember playing what I consider Final Fantasy VI, but for the heathens like Dan Dillon, it is Final Fantasy III. On the uh, Super Nintendo, um, Xenogears, all the Chrono Trigger, that kind of thing, that was – I was always more attracted to like the role playing games that had a story as opposed to just like shoot 'em ups kind of thing.
0: Now was this like console RPGs or did you dive into some of the uh the isometric CRPGs as well?
1: Um it was mostly console um because that's what I knew about at the time I, since I didn't have a ton of uh friends in the community I didn't know a lot about the other ones. So I just I you know it was mostly on the console I didn't I like to say I didn't own my first console until the original PlayStation, but my mother likes to point out that I did have a ColecoVision when I was, like, four, and it had, like, the Cabbage Patch Kids game on it, which was pretty sweet, honestly. But, um, yeah, so when I got uh, PlayStation, the original PlayStation, that's when I got my hands on, like, Final Fantasy VII and Parasite Eve and um, Symphony of the Night, which I'm actually replaying right now. Because we have a retro corner with the PlayStation set up in it, and I actually found memory cards online. <laughs> yeah, my attention span isn't long enough to actually sit for the, like, 12 hours to beat <laughs> in one go. No. I love you a la card, just not that much.
0: Of all the uh, RPGs that you've played, all the, the tabletop RPGs now that, that you've played over the years, what would you say is your favorite?
1: Oh... You know, it's funny. That's it's kind of a tricky question because there's things about each of them that are so unique to them that it it becomes difficult to choose, especially when you're paired with like really fantastic players. Um, I mean, of course, I love Dungeons and Dragons just because it's it's flexible enough; you can pretty much drop it into almost any setting. And, you know, I've gotten to now play in Homebrew Worlds and in Ebron and Faerun. And I think one of my shows had a brief stint to, I think, Spelljammer, I think, because we were on a spaceship. Yeah, all I remember is that the DM got really mad at me because I succeeded on polymorphing the big bad into a hamster in a spacesuit. Yeah, that'll do it. um, That was a good one. That was excellent. It made my day very much. Thank you. Um (laughs) But uh, in all fairness, this was after we had visited Barovia and I'd huffed the ashes from the Amber Temple. So my charisma is 22 plus 6. Bard was going to succeed on that. It was just going to happen. Have fun on those saving throws. Um, But I mean, so you have that. And then, you know, I got the chance to be the first one of the first people to stream Invisible Sun by Monty Cook. And what that, what was amazing about that system to me is just. There's so much involvement from the player as opposed to D&D that has very, you know, history built into it. And um, these are the people that came before you uh, and Invisible Sun. The session zero is literally. So what's in your neighborhood? What's your favorite place to go? And you're making this stuff up as you go, which um, has a lot of appeal to me. Uh, cause your, your brain can really go to some interesting places, which is how we got a Godega, which was a bodega with cat legs. It was special. Um, and then of course, you know, if, if you've watched at all, you know that I love The Witcher. So playing The Witcher RPG is really great. Although I'm spoiled because I, I get to play it with Doug Cockle, who is actually Geralt in the video games. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, um, I mean, when you have people playing with you, like, Uh, wandering dm and matt mercer and doug cockle you're probably gonna get spoiled especially when it's being run by the guy that made the game um (laughs) so yeah i i honestly i'm the same way with books it's very hard for me to pick a favorite because there's just things about each of them that are so perfect to me that i don't it's it's i can't choose just one yeah and it's
0: in many ways not a fair question but so going back to that first game you played in 2006 who was your first character
1: Oh no. Um, thankfully I don't remember her name, but of course, as everyone's first D and D character does, she looked just like me only better. Um, and she, (laughs) she was a paladin. Um, so she was a paladin, but Kelly, and this was, uh, 3.5. I think it was 3.5 in 2006. Um, So, of course, there were rules about such things as alignment and how your actions affected your alignment. And all I'm saying is that camp by the road was totally bandits. And I'm going to sell the loot I took off their dead bodies and give it to the church.
0: Ah, I see.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Given that my husband uh, was the DM. (laughs) Um, i've never been allowed to forget that um he immediately had my paladin fall <laughs> and i was like but they're bandits he was like you never asked you're just attacked
0: in your defense would any good bandits admit that they were bandits
1: his point was i didn't even look <laughs> like i didn't insight check i didn't do anything i just ran in and killed everybody <laughs> Um, I mean, I think everybody's going to do it at least once, uh, <laughs> but it's it's just funny because I can still remember it was, it was me, my husband is the DM and then my best friend and her husband. And I actually, I think this was the trip where we went, where they got married. Mm-hmm. And then one of my husband's other best friends, um, and we're all, I mean, at this point we're all like family and, um, yeah, I just remember the look of horror on their faces because they had all played D&D before. <laughs> I just got really excited. Mm.
0: I'm DMing my wife's first campaign in, in Dungeons & Dragons, so it's going to be very, very similar stories at this point. It was point, just really exciting.
1: It was so exciting, and I was playing things, and I was having fun, and I just really wanted to attack something because I felt he wasn't giving me anything to attack, and that was the problem. If I just asked, or insight checked, because to this day, he won't tell me if they were really bandits because he's awful. Oh, well. It is what it is. Um, but yeah, so I actually haven't played a Paladin since. Gotcha. Nope. Nope. It's one of those classes I just don't play. <laughs> I think I played it once for a charity one shot, but it was like a goofball charity one shot where I didn't have to actually do anything Paladin y. <laughs> so it didn't count. <laughs>
0: In the time since then, have you uh, gotten to try your hand at DMing?
1: So I had never DM'd um, until last year, the fall of last year. Um, one of my very good friends up here, her daughter had expressed interest in D and D, and she needed someone to sit with her for the night. And um, she was like, "Can you come over? And you can bring Pirate Jesus, and um, you know, maybe do D and D." So I was like, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, we went over there, and I assumed that my husband was going to be the DM. And um, my friend's daughter, she's about 13, I assumed he was going to be the DM, so I had a character ready to go. I brought my dice and everything. And then they sit down at the table, and he pulls out a character sheet, and he sends me a link to an adventure. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, congratulations, neither does she. And so that was my first time at DMing. Um, Since then, uh, my best friend and I were running a a campaign where we were trading off DM spots. And I also DMed their son's first game over Christmas. But it's fun. And I mean, it, it can be fun and it can be fun to think on your feet and come up with different things. But also, I really think I enjoy being on the player side more. Not because I don't enjoy telling a story, but because I don't enjoy making the maps and like plotting the encounters and like that kind of prep work is a little i mean i still enjoy it in the end but i just i really like playing more than dming i think like i don't think i would ever dm on stream ever ever especially because i start making really angry faces when the players don't do things that i want them to yep pouty pouty faces
0: so in your time playing um have you either kind of developed a forever NPC that shows up in every game that you play? And if not, then, uh, what, what would you, who's your favorite NPC that you've ever encountered in one of the RPGs that you played?
1: Um, there've been a few, the, uh, the gentleman that first got me into streaming D and D, uh, who was DM Shane on the Greyhawk channel, um, is an excellent DM and he had very memorable NPCs. Uh, I do know my husband in that original game. He had a long running NPC that was basically him that would step in whenever we screwed up so much that <laughs> we needed help, who uh, was a ranger. And he would just like give this long suffering sigh and be like, You see the ranger step out from behind a tree. <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, that was, that was, um, that was always enjoyable for me. Um I'm trying to think of a favorite cuz I've I've done several at this point and oh god there's so many that are so fantastic that it's really hard. I don't have one that always shows up. Personally, I will say that I ran um at the suggestion of my friend for Christmas time I ran our group through Winter Splendor uh by Ashley Warren and um I was like, I'll do this, but I'm going to get to a point where you guys are just going to roll your eyes at me. And she's like, OK. And I get to that point, and it's because there's a major NPC that Ashley based on me in the module, who's an opera singing redheaded. <laughs> and it, I was like, I told you. So I just took a screenshot of thank you to the opera geek and, like, put it in our Discord. <laughs> I was like, I did tell you. <laughs> um but it's, I think it's fun. You get, um, I, what was really neat is, like, DM Shane, for instance, um, had very different versions of Morden And, like, Morden had been split all over the place. And so every version, one Morden spoke in Shakespearean quotes. Another Morden only spoke in, like, prose, but, like, Viking prose. Like, it was really interesting. And I guess that counts as a recurring NPC. It's kind of the same person all the time. Just different personalities. But,
0: yeah. So how would you describe your play style?
1: Chaotic witty. That's that's about... Yep. Yep. I made a joke that that was my personal alignment, but it, it, it it's very... I don't know all the rules. That's something I try to let people know right in advance. I don't know all the rules for every class. I've gotten really good at bard rules because that's what I played a lot, but... Like, I know I'm going to make mistakes, so sometimes I fly by the seat of my pants because I know I'm going to make mistakes anyway. And I find that a lot of really good character development can be made up on the fly uh, if you're paying attention. Because if you're reacting as that character, um, things are going to come out that are perfectly in character, you know? Um, Every character I play is sarcastic in some form, and it's going to be very interesting – <clears throat> when does this podcast come out?
0: Uh, it comes out this Saturday.
1: Okay, no, I can't t- talk about that then. <laughs>
0: Fair
1: enough. <laughs> Let's just say on one of the upcoming streams that I'm in that has been announced, I have a character who does not speak very much and g- has no sense of um, sarcasm. So that's going to be me challenging myself to not be a complete jerk 90% <laughs> of the time <laughs> and try to get all the one-liners. It's definitely um I think everybody has something they gravitate towards and I do tend to gravitate towards um kind of the sarcastic witty person that always has something to say that's you know can help solve the problem probably because that was never me in school you know I I was the kid that always came up with the comeback for the bully like an hour after the bully was gone you know <laughs> so now i you know, I put it in my characters I always have the right thing to say <laughs> I mean, that's probably that's probably uh, the most consistent thing. So
0: there's a lot of great memories that we all kind of accumulate when we play RPGs. What would you say is your fondest RPG memory?
1: Oh, fondest RPG memory. Uh, probably getting to come in as the big bad person and kill Matt Mercer's player character. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really good one. Uh, especially cause I memorized a bunch of Latin and like rolled my eyes back in my head and like did a weird chant and stuff. Um, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> I mean, that one was, was phenomenal. Uh, I mean, I got to say, how do I want to do this to Matt Mercer <laughs> and God bless him. Didn't break character. The man's a great chair actor. He's acting the heck out of it while he's sitting in that chair. Um, and that's happened both times. I've I've that time and when we did the uh the Witcher game where he played dandelion, I mean he could deliver anything with a straight face. Which is really hard when you're playing with Doug Cockle because the man will try to make you break every two seconds. Um I think definitely that and uh oh god. The going to Barovia was great just because it's freaking it's Barovia, you know. I mean, what are you gonna do? But I think that first appearance, um, that was really the first time that I was on a stream that had a ton of views. And I'm one of those kind of performers that, um, the more people that are watching, the easier it is to perform. It's, there's no stage, the, the less people there are, the, the more stage fright kind of there is. It's not really stage. Fright. Oh, fluffy cat. I see a fluffy cat.
0: <laughs> oh, there he is. <laughs> Say Hello. hi to Ronan.
1: Hello, Ronan. Um, so yeah, it it was just um it was a great introduction to to streaming, really. Cuz I'd only done a couple one shots before that and then I got to come sing opera and kill Matthew Mercer. I mean, what else can you really ask for? Honestly, not kill Matt Mercer maybe.
0: Now when you when you picked up those dice, did you look him directly in the eyes and go, "Hey Mercer, it's high noon."
1: I did not, because I have never played Overwatch. I have never played Overwatch, and I would not do that to poor Matthew. But we did have somebody in our our Witcher game that paid. (laughs) So one of the things with the charity game is that you can can buy a line off of Doug as Geralt, you know, within reason. And somebody paid to have Geralt ask Dandelion what time it was. (laughs) And just Matt's face was just like, you could see the sadness, Mm -hmm. but bless him. He just said, you know, Cody would tie this and he told him. so he goes, it's past noon. (laughs) Like, yes. (laughs) Good job. No, I did. uh, I did. I'm not going to lie. I did have to practice saying, how do I want to do this in the mirror? While (laughs) keeping a straight face (laughs) because I knew I wasn't going to keep a straight face. Mm-hmm. And I, I had to be this really menacing character. I was like ripping, literally ripping his heart out. But I, I, I was like, I can't break a smile during this or it ruins the effect. And so I did. I practiced it in a mirror. Now the whole internet knows. There you go.
0: I was very concerned when, when they were doing the Deadland stream on Geek and Sundry. I was like, are they going to set up some kind of like McCree joke jar? That, that people have to put money in that goes to charity and chat?
1: Oh, the Undeadwood? Or the... Yeah, Undeadwood was great. That was great. I still haven't actually watched Deadwood, but I watched Undeadwood.
0: Gotcha. So while we share the table with lots of great people, including the likes of Doug Cockle and Matt Mercer, sometimes we share the table with people we just don't really get along with. And the worst of these people, we have the term of that guy reserved for. So... Without incriminating yourself, if this is someone who's famous, what's your best or worst that guy story?
1: I'm going to be totally honest with you, and it's not a thing I like to discuss on podcasts. And it's because I find – if you bark again, dog (laughs) – I find that um, a lot of times things can happen either in the heat of the moment or – or because uh, someone thinks they're playing in character, and they're not really being a that guy. It's just usually a one-time thing, um, <clears throat> and I think we've all had those moments. So I it's, I don't like to call out things like that on podcasts. I'll call out gatekeeping like crazy, and you know, don't be that guy that says you know girls don't belong in tabletop, or LGBTQ people don't belong in tabletop because I will yell at you until the cows come home, and I'm very loud. <laughs> and I will yell, but yeah, I don't. I don't like to discuss like bad experiences with uh, with players on podcasts because I think it's it's not really fair.
0: Yeah, and you never know like what what mood you catch someone in. So
1: exactly. I mean, not- I I'm sure that I've had moments where people are like, oh my god, I want to throttle her character right now, and that's fine. Sometimes I was aiming for that. <laughs>
0: So uh, this is going to be our last introductory question. The answer to this question can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be, Kelly. So if you could put anything on a T-shirt, what would it be?
1: What an odd question. It would – is this a T-shirt for me to wear?
0: Uh, it could be a T-shirt for you to wear, a T-shirt for other people to wear.
1: Um, I really would like to have a shirt that has all my royal titles on it that I have given myself, which – do. Do take a while to recite. Uh, I, am, I actually have a cup next to me that has them on it <laughs> because Megan gave it to me. Royal Highness, the ginger flame who sings upon the graves of her enemies, the aria slinging mercenary, she who must be heard, an actual bard, overlord of Ravenloft, and also president of the moon. I would like that on a shirt. And the other thing which might still end up on a shirt in my merch store is Exposure's Worth Shit. Yes, that's my, that's my motto.
0: Now, kind of moving into questions more tailored to, to your experience, I do want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, uh, being, yeah you know, ha- having trouble kind of fitting in as a, a, a younger kid because you were significantly younger than the, the kids in your grade. Mm-hmm. Was it the fact that you were significantly younger, that the D&D kids didn't want you in, they didn't want to be playing with a quote unquote little kid, or was it, She's younger than us, but she's in our classes. We're nerds, but I mean, come on.
1: Um, it was probably a combination of both. Um, so it's really rough socially um, to skip grades and be younger, especially like in my case, third and fourth grade and going straight to fifth. That's a big social jump, and for somebody who's already um quite socially awkward, uh. You know, there were times that I'm sure that people were like, oh, my God, I don't want to be anywhere around her, you know, that kind of thing. But I think also sometimes um, I'm trying to think how to really put this when you have a click, even if it's a D&D click. And even if you're the nerds that the other popular kids look down on or whatever, I think everybody has this need to feel more important sometimes than someone else. And. Whether or not you know you're doing it, and it's very – sometimes you might not know you're doing it, but, you know, who knows? Maybe the kids were like, you know, hey, we might be nerds, but at least we're not her, you know, that kind of thing. Um, You know, and it does stick with you, that kind of feeling of not fitting in and not belonging, and uh, you get used to it after a while. It's kind of like becomes an old friend that you're kind of used to being there, but even then – Um, I don't think anybody should have to live with that. And I think with the advent of social media, while it can be a double edged sword and the advent of the ability to play online with people you don't know, you know, somewhere else, somebody else who might be like you, I, I think it's helped a lot. So, I mean, I can't if I if I was a kid now, I imagine the outcome would be much different.
0: You've mentioned the uh, the the fact that you kind of grew up reading your uh, fantasy novels, playing uh, you know video game RPGs. Um, did that influence in any way your your decision to become a professional singer? Was was that part of it? Was did that play into it at all? Uh, kind of get into that a little bit.
1: Huh. Oddly enough, that's a question nobody's asked me. Um, I've been asked how my performing affects my playing but kind of never the other direction um i think so because when you're reading fantasy when you're reading i mean when you're reading anything but especially fantasy when you're playing rpgs it's a way of being someone else for a little bit and it's a gift really to be able to take yourself out of whatever you're feeling at the moment and putting yourself somewhere else and living vicariously through someone else's character, through someone else's life. And that is what I get to do on stage. And it's interesting because I've often sung the same role numerous times. But I've never sung the same role the same way. Because each production is approached differently. Like you wouldn't play your character, your your PC the same if it was dropped from Faerun into Eberron. Because their lives would have been different. Things would have influence them differently. So I think it did influence uh, my decision to become a performer. The opera singing started much younger, like the, the want to do that, but to become a professional performer, it's, it's very enticing to someone who doesn't want to be themselves. And yeah. And as I've gotten older and come more to terms with who I am, And that it's okay to be the weird one. Um, The performing just stayed as a way to be other people. So I didn't necessarily always not want to be me. But sometimes it's fine to be someone else. And in addition, it gives me the opportunity to help someone that's watching have the same experience of getting taken out of themselves. And to experience something different. And forget about things. You know, I think probably, yes. I mean, what's opera if it's not just fantasy? I mean,
0: (laughs) absolutely. And, you know, it's very it's 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 good to hear someone else say that, because that is something that has definitely kind of driven both my my desire to find escapist fiction like, you know, fantasy and comic books like I'm into like Dungeons and Dragons and it's also driven my desire to, to be a performer. I am not a professional. I've aspired to being a professional for a while. My my thing has gone from uh, acting to, at one point for three months, professional wrestling to, uh, to stand-up comedy to I podcasting. I mean, that's acting.
1: Professional yeah. wrestling.
0: I just wasn't good at it.
1: I mean, that can be fun, too. But mm-hmm. you'll get hurt.
0: Yes. And that was what my wife was concerned about. But yeah, that's—I mean—that's definitely something that I felt, and I—I I feel like that's something that a lot of people feel. And so it's—it's it's good to hear that from from other people who you know have have turned that that feeling of I don't want to be me into something healthier and into something you know that you're able to support yourself with.
1: And let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> uh, support yourself with is a very broad term. Um, I mean, I have two day jobs, um, in addition to the streaming and the opera singing. Um, and Well, I also think it's very important to have these discussions, um, because it's very tempting sometimes to kind of package yourself up the way they used to package celebrities in the 50s and 60s, and there's this perfect person and the perfect life, and isn't that great that everything's fine? But... That's not human. And um, my husband pointed out to me because when I first started streaming, I was getting really frustrated because I was like, you know, if I have a bad uh, mental day or, or something, I, was, I didn't want anybody to know. And then when I got really sick last year, um, I was talking to Devin Rue, and she and my husband said the same thing, which is just tell people, people like you more if you're human and they understand that you're like them. So I think that's the other thing. When you have experienced these kind of things and you become a performer, sometimes the pain can become something to draw on that's very powerful. And your own, your own struggles or the struggles you've seen uh, others deal with can become almost cathartic when you get to perform them. Now, personally I've never gotten to say break a folding chair over somebody on stage, which I would like to do. So if we can figure out a way to add that from wrestling into opera, I would I would be very happy with that outcome. <laughs> Let's
0: see if anyone else has if anyone's actually done that.
1: Oh, I'm sure someone has. If there is not like a setting of Don Giovanni where they are luchadors, I'm going to be really mad. <laughs> Oh, it's the little things that make you happy.
0: I cannot find any evidence of anyone in professional wrestling who had an opera gimmick. Uh, wrestling fans out there, correct me on that,
1: please. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: in addition to the the streaming uh, that you've done, you, you've also been involved in some uh, some content creation for for RPGs, specifically when it comes to the uh, the creation of the uh, the Bard College of Opera.
1: How did that come about? Because I made a stupid joke on the Internet, I made a dumb joke on the Internet, um, which was a thinly veiled me saying it's a, OK. So bag it up. There is kind of a divide that happens quite often, at least in the classical musical world, where people will say, oh, um, there's the musicians and then there's the singers. And it's a bit of a an insult to imply that someone who has gone to school for this is not a musician or that the voice is not an instrument. So I always got a little irked every time I opened a, an RPG manual and the Bard equivalent had to choose an instrument, but voice was never one of them. So I made a dumb joke on the Internet, as I want to do, about, you know, where's the College of the Opera? You know, we could have specialties in extra languages, we could break things with our voice, whatever. And then um, Hannah Rose stepped up, and uh, she's a very dear friend. And we met at PAX Unplugged probably a month after I'd made the dumb joke. And she says, you really want to do this? Because we can do this. And I was like, heck yeah, I want to do this. And neither one of us was expecting it to um, quite blow up the way it did. I certainly wasn't prepared to have major U.S. opera companies tweeting and Facebook posting about a and d class <laughs> and mentioning my name, um, which was kind of throwing me for a loop. Um, but I think it's something that, you know, needed to be done and you get to do some really cool things as a bard of the College of the Opera. Um, you do get to shatter things, which I have done. Uh, the first time I played Opera Bard was on North by North Quest, and I hit a natural 20 on my, my shatter attack, and I gave them an MP3 so they were able to pipe in one of my high notes to put into the podcast for when I shattered it, which I thought was pretty fun. Um, so yeah, it, it basically started, as many of my, my ideas do, as something born out of an annoyance. And a need to constantly make jokes about it, and of course Hannah is uh, a brilliant a brilliant writer on her own, um, and she brought a level of sophistication to my dumb idea that I didn't know was going to be possible. <laughs> and of course, you know she's now um, she's now worked on the Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount, um, on Descent into Avernus. Uh, she's, she's really fantastic and working with her to create this was great because I felt like I could finally really build myself as a D and D character <laughs> so far. None of my college of the opera bards have looked like me, but it's coming, you know, it's coming. It's going to happen. Eventually I'm not going to be able to resist it anymore. Um, but what's been interesting to me particularly is the amount of messages I got in my inbox so many I couldn't keep up with them from other people who sang either classically or otherwise professionally or amateur who were like oh my god there's another opera singing nerd and you know they were happy to see someone like them which I think is important and FYI there are a lot of opera singing D&D players I know many many um, I know an opera singing drag queen D&D player, which I think hits like every bingo card ever. Um, and she's wonderful at it, at all of her jobs. Um, but yeah, so College of the Opera just, it started out as a funny joke, and it is now a platinum bestseller. <laughs> platinum bestseller that has been translated into Spanish, and I believe has two more translations coming. <laughs> so yeah. It's it's been it's been fun. <laughs> Seeing your face on a D and D supplement is weird. Gotcha.
0: So, I mean, being a performer, a, a lot of times I like to ask people who stream, you know, how did it feel when you uh, when you first started to stream? But being a performer, you're you're used to you know performing essentially. What's the difference in the feeling of being in front of a live crowd and then being in front of a live crowd on stream that you can't necessarily see?
1: Um, so when you have a live audience there in front of you, you can, it's hard to describe, but it's a very palpable energy to feed off of a live audience, to feed off your fellow performers. Even if you're the only singer, you have an accompanist or other musicians, and you get that kind of emotional drive from them. The last gig I did was two solo cantatas. It was only me singing, but I had a Baroque orchestra. So, harpsichordist, two violins, um, and a uh, cello. Cello? Oh, God, she's going to murder me. Cello? I think it was cello. Oh, God, don't kill me. Oh, no, my brain just stopped. Um So edit that out. (laughs) So you, even though I'm the only singer and I'm the only one on stage, quote unquote, you kind of have that give and take. You don't always have that on a stream, especially on a stream. Like if I'm streaming the Witcher game, I'm basically talking to myself, which to be fair, I do a lot anyway. Um, But unless you stop to read Twitch chat, you don't really know how people are reacting. I can't look out and see a face and think, oh, okay, so that's really affecting that person and feeding off that kind of energy. Um, when I'm streaming with other people, I watch the other players, and that's how I get it. But otherwise, it's um, that I think that's the biggest difference. You don't have that constant energy coming at you. And you it requires a little – I'm not going to lie. It requires a little more energy for me to – to stream when I don't have someone I'm working off of.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. And I mean, having, having performed in front of people before the, that, that energy is very, very real. And it does really kind of, at least in my case, propel me through the performance. Um, and I imagine I've never done a stream. I've never been on a stream or streamed one of my games by the, I imagine that feeling is just got to be extremely weird of knowing there are people out there, there are people seeing this. The numbers are telling me that they're seeing this, but because you can't see them, it's just not the same.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it really is a hard feeling to explain, but if you've done stand up comedy and you've done even the wrestling, honestly, you understand that kind of power that you get from the audience sitting there and you're there to entertain them and all of their attention is on you it's kind of like a DD god that finds their first follower and then is suddenly inundated with attention and you're like oh yeah this this gives me power definitely so but it's a different thing in twitch and it's not just because you can't see their faces because you know you can kind of read Twitch chat if they're talky. you know, if they're chatty, then you can get stuff. But also there's the anonymity that it provides for people to say very mean things about you while you're streaming. <laughs> um, which brings a whole nother vibe to it, honestly. <laughs> and let's not even get into the people who rules lawyer in your twitch chat while you're playing a, a tabletop game. Let's be honest. Ha ah, ha, I was right, it was a cello. Anyway. Sorry, I went and looked it up. <laughs> I was like I was like, Cora's gonna kill me if it's a viola. <laughs> but it's a cello. Oh ADHD, thank you. Having a having a serious conversation while I go look up something to make sure that I didn't say something wrong five minutes ago.
0: It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Has there been a game that's that's come out that you've seen that you really want to stream that you haven't gotten the chance to stream yet?
1: A tabletop game? Yeah. As much as my husband says that I would not enjoy it, I would kind of like to do Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu. I want to see how quickly I can go insane. Um, that's probably influenced by Talison's really fantastically run game that he did. Um, the atmosphere was so fan- was just so cool. That it made me want to play it. <laughs> um, so definitely, definitely that one. I think it would be interesting to play Swordsfall just because it's so different from anything else I've played. Also, I totally want to play Humblewood so I can be like a hedgehog or something. I don't know if you know Humblewood. It's all cute little forest creatures. I'm a big, like, it's, they're like fluffy and adorable. And I have a thing for hedgehogs anyway, which is why I call all of my followers hedgehogs. Um... But, I think, like in for serious, you know, I'm not even sure if I could pick one. I am so indecisive on your podcast. It's all right <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean those those three are definitely those three are definitely on the list, absolutely,
0: so in addition to again, the, the the streaming and the, the singing, which we've talked about, you have also done a good amount of voice work. How did that come about in your career?
1: Um, that was actually when I was in college, and that's because I had a friend who was in voice work, and they basically took me along one day to do, like, background stuff and audition. And um, that's how I ended up doing Boogie Pop Phantom, which was the first one I did. And uh, it just it kind of went on from there. Um, I haven't done a ton because you know most of the voice work is done like uh, on the West Coast or in Vancouver. And being that I'm in New York, it's not a lot of them over here. But I've done I've done a fair a fair amount, and I, I have a lot of fun uh, when I do them. Again, you're talking to yourself in a booth, which is always amusing. Um, but let's see what I was just do, I just was doing. Um, additional voice work for aria the animation and i've done uh was it Ikitosin, his and her circumstances and and then the outlier which is queen's blade which is a very uh fan servicey <laughs> anime <laughs> let's put it that way i'm the main bad guy in that one though i am, I am the main bad guy for the first two seasons of queen's blade <laughs> My husband has a cameo because he got to come in and yell, she's a demon <laughs> during <laughs> one of my fights. <laughs> he wasn't wrong.
0: That's pretty great.
1: It is. It is. And it's it's fun and, um, you know, it's a lot of work. And I give great respect to my friends uh, and acquaintances who make a living as voice actors because that is some hard shit, honestly. You know, it's Again, the same stuff we were talking about where you're used to working with other people and getting that same energy back. And it's really just you talking into a microphone by yourself with a headset on. And um, it can also be very taxing on the voice. So I give them great props. I know a lot of really cool people who do a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, they're so awesome. I'm really lucky. I have found some really awesome friends uh, through this community since I've, I've joined the tabletop community. And I feel very lucky to know all of them because they're great. Now, one
0: question that does come to mind, uh, you know, mentioning some of those those voice actors and, and very talented people that you know and, and work with,
1: mm-hmm. when it
0: comes to doing a, a stream like, let's say, that, that Witcher stream that you did,
1: mm-hmm.
0: before and after everything's live and, and cameras are going, how professional or goofy is the environment Uh, just kind of before and after a a stream like that?
1: Well, so with the Witcher stream, what you saw was what you got. That was literally the same behavior that we were exhibiting off stream. Um, With the only exception probably being that Doug doesn't wear as many hats in real life as he does on the Witcher stream. Although I would not put it past him to wear the panda hat like all the time. Um, Honestly, it's... Most of the people that I've had... The luck to work with that are considered very well known in the community have all just been such wonderful, kind people and really are genuinely the same people you see present themselves in public. And I think that's one of the reasons that I feel (laughs) so lucky to have met them, because they're genuine And yeah, I mean, like the Witcher stream, the backstage chat was just us making the same stupid jokes that we then said two minutes later because we were so amused by ourselves that we had to say them live. And although the one thing I was not prepared for was Matt doing a barred cover of Nine Inch Nails, and it (laughs) has ruined me a bit for Nine Inch Nails. (laughs) which I only know because of my husband, honestly, because I don't know very much modern music. Um, But it's genuinely, I would say pretty much everybody has been a what you see is what you get kind of thing. They're exactly the same person on stream as they are off stream. And I think that's fantastic because people always have this idea that um, public figures are different when they're, by themselves, and of course, there's always a degree of difference because when you're in public, and I mean, even like if I've done an opera, and I go, I always try to go out in costume to greet people afterwards. Um, then you've got your public face on; you're smiling, and everything else. You don't show a lot of fatigue, you don't show anything else, but you're still the same person. You know, you're just the same person with a little bit of heightened, you know, context. And I think that's what uh, people need to remember a lot of times when they assume that uh, well-known people in the community, they can pretty much say anything they want about them because, you know, they're just a personality. They're not just a personality. They're a person, you know, and uh, it can be unfortunate sometimes. (laughs) But, no, everybody, honestly, I'm just trying to think, but everybody that I've had the pleasure of meeting and working with in this community is just, genuinely the same people as they as they appear to be. And seriously, that Witcher backstage chat was excellent. It was excellent. <laughs> I hope somebody screenshotted it. <sighs>
0: but no, it, it's interesting that you mention um, people talking about people as if they're not a person, their personality. I find that in the RPG community specifically, there are a lot of very public figures who are very much engaged with what their audience is saying and I feel like at that at that level when you're that engaged, when you're that plugged into what people are saying, a lot of the criticisms can feel a little bit more personal. Have you experienced that just
1: as oh, you sure.
0: become a public figure?
1: Oh for sure. Um and the the ironic part is I don't think there's any Twitter following number that's ever going to make me feel like a public figure and not just a nerd who gets to hang out with really cool people. Um, but for sure people all the time <laughs> uh, and I've been luckier than some of my friends but uh, or some other figures in the community. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had people say things and uh, either through DMS, which is really bad or, out loud in Twitch chat because they think, oh, if there's 5,000 people watching this, they'll never see this, you know, kind of semi nasty thing I said about them. You know, and it's there's there's a it's not just a personality, it's a person. And I think that if people remembered that public figures are just people, they need time to just be that and not Have a lot of constant pressure of being on some pedestal that people put them on because it can be very dangerous on a pedestal if you're very clumsy like me and fall off of things a lot Um, because you just want to you want to make everybody happy and it's never going to happen and there's always going to be somebody who has a difference of opinion of something you said or the way you played a character or, or the choices you made you know and like I will happily discuss things, but if somebody comes in and tries to start telling you that the way you're playing is wrong or the decisions you make are wrong, um, I think that needs to be nipped a little in the bud because I can tell you right now that most of those people wouldn't say it if there was a person standing in front of them
0: yeah, and that's I mean that's definitely a problem that has been a part of RPGs even as far back as when you know, Gary Gygax was first putting out the original Dungeons & Dragons, the idea that someone is having fun wrong.
1: I mean, it's... Everybody has fun differently, and I think another big thing to remember is that the rules for a tabletop game, a role-playing game, I shouldn't just say tabletop game, because that has whole other connotations as well, role-playing game are guidelines. And between the guidelines and the player and the DM somewhere in the middle of those three is where the game happens. And you can't have a fun game for the people involved. If you have made yourself so subservient to the letter of the rules that you can't stretch something to be fun. Now I'm not saying that if your character does something that causes them to get permadeath and you don't have someone with res, that there should be a magical snapping of the fingers and they come back No, choices have consequences. But I'm saying if you forget you have a certain spell and the audience knows you have it, don't yell at them in chat (laughs) kind of thing. Um, But, yeah, I I think that uh, the Internet anonymity is really a double-edged sword when it comes to that. You know, and nobody – you can't really – the only way you can have fun wrong is if you try to stop others from having it. And the the whole rules is written thing –
0: it really creates kind of an interesting um, an interesting conundrum when you take into account the fact that there's a, a huge difference between the games that you play around your table with no one watching, no one's tuned in, it's just you and your friends playing this game, versus we are playing this game, but simultaneously we're putting on a show that other people are watching. If you get too bogged down in rules as written... At that point, you're not going to have a product that other people want to watch. There's a lot more there's a lot more kind of rule of cool. Uh, you know, the DM and I agreed that this is okay, so this is how it's going to be because it's more entertaining than I feel like happens in just a typical game around the table where maybe it's it's easier to do rules as written because again, no one's observing.
1: Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, see, something that comes to mind for me is when we were playing the game in Greyhawk, and yeah, sure, I huffed grave dust and got the really great boon of the charisma, and then I got really full of myself and went and huffed another bunch of grave dust, which gave me a whole bunch of hit points, but made my character obscenely ugly. And Kelly could have probably dealt with the character being obscenely ugly. But the character, as I had written her, could absolutely not deal with it. Um, And so the DM, despite the fact that um, I believe the Curse of Strahd book says that it can't be lifted, this particular curse in the Amber Temple, I'd have to go check, Um, or that it has to be done by a very specific thing, he had Strahd lift the curse on me. After a few episodes, because he was like, you know, there's no way that the character herself can continue. I would have I could have figured out a way to make it work. But if you're going to play true to your character, you know, that's it's going to cause a massive shift. (laughs) Uh, So he came up with, you know, a way to make it work. Was it canon the way it was? Probably not. But that's the fun part about homebrew. And that's the fun part about the DM is the arbiter of the rules. You know, I, I I will admit to having <laughs> having made a decision out of annoyance and blocked a character from doing something as a DM once uh, because it basically would have broken the entire adventure. <laughs> so I you, can't, you have to, uh, like my husband told me once that one of the, the deep secrets you learn about a DM is fudging a role. And because I, I looked over at him and one of the first, things where I was DMing on this this thing with our, our friends, our home game, and I muted my microphone and he wasn't playing in the game. And I looked over and I was like, they're oh, I'm they're gonna die. And he was like I pointed to my role and he says, Fudge your role. I was like, but the role says he's like, you are not beholden <laughs> to this dice number if you don't want to be. You know, and I know a lot of people disagree with that. But I think again, coming back to Everyone should be having fun. Is it really going to be fun for everybody if you murder all their characters the first time you get a hold of them? <laughs> oh, it would have been kind of funny for me. <laughs>
0: Not them. Gotcha. Well, Kelly, we are running up against our time here. Uh, so for the rest of our time, uh, what I'm going to do is turn the episode over to you and oh, God, anything that you've got. <laughs> <laughs> anything that you've got coming up, anything you want to promote as of uh, this episode will go up on March the 7th. So anything that you can announce as of that date, uh, go ahead. The, uh, the the microphone is yours.
1: Oh, this is always a bad idea. Um, let's see. So tomorrow, which is March 3rd, um, is the premiere of Heim. On Little Red Dot's channel, and that is a North Sea epilogues campaign, which I believe runs for four episodes. I've never played the system, which means I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, um, which should be fun. And then March 12th, I start on Wandering DM's channel playing Dragon Age uh, tabletop with Cypher of Tear as the DM, which I'm super excited about because Tanya De pass is literally the coolest human. Um I also have never played Dragon Age, the game. So this is going to be fun. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and then later in March, I will be starting um, on Wandering DM channels uh, as well in his Witcher campaign, not playing Triss Marigold, playing an actual character. <laughs> um, so for right now, that there are more things, but those are the things I can announce and since Doug already announced it on UK Twitch front page, um, it looks like I will be joining Doug Cockle in Albany for Empire State Comic Con, um, which should be fun. Do a little witchering panel uh, up there. And other than that, uh, you can just follow along uh, either on my website, kellybutler.com, or keep up on my Twitter because all my links get posted there. And uh, that's really it, I think. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will uh, I will tell uh, the the audience that we have here uh don't literally toss a coin to your witcher uh, because that could hurt someone
1: It could health and safety
0: Gotcha so uh Kelly thank you so much for agreeing to uh, to do the show uh, this was a lot of fun. we went in some some kind of interesting directions here that I feel like will be
1: uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what happens when I start I talking. I feel like
0: it'll be uh, <laughs> a great episode for people to hear especially uh, the conversations about feeling, you know, like you like you don't belong and wanting to be someone else and and some of the harder parts of of, you know, getting to do this thing that we love.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely cool. It's it, it there are definitely parts of this conversation that I have not had in other interviews, which I think is great.
0: Happy to provide that for you.
1: Yay, and Cat, there was also Absolutely. a
0: Absolutely. Well, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. Uh, Next week, uh, my good friend and Terrain Master, Josh Unruh, returns to Rollin' Bones, and he is bringing on a friend of his, a guy who uh, runs an Instagram page devoted to Terrain, uh, Dan Masucci, and uh, we are going to do an entire episode based on Terrain, and how Josh has made it literally impossible for me to not play... uh, or for me to to play without terrain. Uh, So that is going to be interesting for those of you who are into the the 3D map designs of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, But until then, if you rolled a 1 or if you rolled a 20, I am unbelievably grateful that you decided to roll your bones with me, Ryan Howard. And I'll see you next time.
1: It's a very good thing that I set up an alert that this was happening so that I didn't start drinking Mm -hmm. yet. Because I'm off tomorrow. Alcohol was an option.
0: Mm-hmm. It, yes. It's it's perfectly okay to have alcohol on the show. I have alcohol pretty much every show. So
1: Hold on. Husband! <laughs> oh, he's not answering me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you want to run, go get a drink. It'll be fine.
1: Wait a minute. No, here he comes with the dog. I can hear the dog skitter-scatter on the hardwood. <laughs> can you get me a drink? No, but he assumed you called him. No, I just want whiskey. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>